Welcome to the Womb Happy Hour with Lorraine Giordano. It's time to connect with your feminine energy center, your own body, to achieve anything that your heart desires. It's a discussion about a place you may have not discussed so much, the place down there. Now, here is your host, Lorraine Giordano. Hello, welcome to the show. You're listening to the Womb Happy Hour. I'm your intuitive energy healing host, Lorraine Giordano. I have a passion to talk about ways for women to feel more connected in their bodies and opportunities for healing down there. We're in a very important time for more discussion to happen. So I'd love to hear from you. Follow me on Twitter at Inspire the Number Two Health. You can like me on Facebook at Inspired to Health. And check out my website, inspiredtohealth.net, for some popular episodes of the show and some unique blogs related to down there. And I just want to give a special shout out, a special thank you to those who downloaded my free ebook, Five Things You're Not Doing to Connect to Down There and Tips to Easily Make the Trip Downtown. So thank you. Appreciate the feedback. All right. So on today's show, we're talking about a very, very important topic for women, pelvic organ prolapse. It's a silent epidemic that impacts 50% of women. And our lovely guest is Sherry Palm. And Sherry is lifting up awareness and options for many women around this health challenge uh, in order for women to be empowered. So it's very exciting to have Sherry on the show. To connect with Sherry, please check out her website, the valuable resource for many women, and um, and men should check it out too. Um, Her website is pelvicorganprolapsesupport.org. It's spelled how it sounds, but I'm going to quickly spell it out. P-E-L-V-I-C-O-R-G-A-N-P-R-O-L-A-P-S-E-S-U-P-P-O-R-T.org. And then also... As a valuable resource, please check out Sherry's uh, website presence. Um, And so on Facebook and Twitter and on LinkedIn, you can find her at Sherry Palm. And so I'm going to spell it out, S-H-E-R-R-I-E, Palm, P-A-L-M. And on Facebook, her, her organization, Association for Pelvic Organ Prolapse, please check that out as well. Uh, That's on Facebook. And on Pinterest, she's Sherry Palm slash Apops. So I also want to mention, because when we go on a break, if you want to Google this book, but it's, I was telling Sherry before we started, every woman and young lady and man should really have this book and doctor. (laughs) So Pelvic Organ Prolapse, The Silent Epidemic. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. Sherry, welcome to the show. So happy to have you on. Hi, Lorraine. I'm really happy to be here to share some information with your following today. And I'd like to just toss out there real quick, too, a a quick way to find our information that our our website title is so long is to Google APOPS, A-P-O-P-S, which is the acronym for our organization. So that will get you there as well. Great to share that. Thank you. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. Again, this is such an important topic, and you are such a pioneer, and you're such an advocate for bringing awareness. Um, So thank you so much for all your work. But for listeners, for young ladies who are listening, for older women even, who might not even be aware of the term pelvic organ prolapse, what is it? Can you describe it? 
You bet. You bet. Let's get a condensed version here of exactly what happens here. Pelvic organ prolapse, or POP, which is a, the, the short version, is a condition which occurs when the structural tissues in our pelvic cavities, which are typically tied to the pelvic floor muscle or PC muscle, become damaged or weakened. And there's a variety of reasons that that can happen. And when they're weakened, they can no longer support the organs above them. And then those organs will shift downward into the vagina to the outside of the body. So there's actually five types of POP. It can be a rectal seal, which is your rectum. There's a systole seal, which is your bladder. There can be an seal, which is your intestines dropping down. It can be your uterus, which is called uterine prolapse, or it can be vaginal vault prolapse, where your vaginal walls actually cave in on themselves after you have a hysterectomy. And women typically experience more than one type of POP at the same time. I've only met one woman in all the years I've been doing this that just had one type of POP, and she was quite young. So in general, once your organs start to shift in that pelvic cavity, it's kind of like a wagon wheel where, you know, you can picture that, that hub of the wagon wheel being the uterus, and the organs are stacked around it. And as one organ shifts position, they all start to shift position, kind of like if you had a, a wall of soft, spongy bricks. And if you pulled one brick out of place, it would all move in position. So um, depending on which types of causes you have and what your, your natural lifestyle is like, um, many different things can happen in that pelvic cavity for women. Yes. And I mean, you mentioned that there's five different types and variations. Um, just out of curiosity, do most doctors know even that there's all those possible variations? There is so, on the specialist side, they do. But on the diagnostic clinician side, so you're talking your primary care physicians or your gynecologists, they are very poorly educated about pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, The nurses, nurse practitioners, all of those fields that provide your basic pelvic exams are very poorly trained in this field. So if they are aware of it, they minimally know about it, and they aren't usually very familiar with all the different types and how they can occur at the same time and how they display symptom-wise. So often uh, women are misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. They may come into their clinicians with some of the symptoms of POP, and that clinician might not recognize that those are symptoms of POP, and they may do diagnostic tests for other types of conditions. So it, it, it's imperative that that's one of the things that, that APOPS is trying to address right now, that lack of, of diagnostic clinician curriculum to shift the awareness of uh, this condition at the clinician level. There's so much that needs to be done. Yeah, and before we get into that, I think that, um, you know, I went, to a, uh, I went to a workshop maybe 10 years ago, and there was a woman in this Saturday afternoon workshop who really shared about her her pain and the impact um, POP had on her life. And she was just basically devastated and so much pain and didn't feel like she had um, many options. So mm-hmm. in what ways, based on your experience, how does POP impact women? It's massive. It dissects through every aspect of women's life. So it can be a physical manifestation, and that's, I mean, always the case, obviously, is there's physical manifestation. But there's a significant emotional impact. It impacts women socially. It impacts women sexually. It impacts their fitness regimens. It impacts their employment. So it pretty much dissects through every aspect of their lives. And, And just to touch on a couple of these a little bit, 
I mean, we could do a whole hour just on these impacts to quality of life. But um, the physical manifestation varies considerably because there are five types, because women frequently have two or three types of POP. How it impacts them physically varies considerably from woman to woman. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I did not have any pain with POP. For me, it was just a matter of having that vaginal pressure, and I had that tissue bulge. And I guess we can go through what all, I guess I should probably quickly just mention what the, the um, symptoms of POP are, the standard symptoms are, and then I can go back into the uh, impacts to women. The most typical symptoms of POP will be tissues bulging outside of your vagina. And think of that like a little ball of tissue. Think of it like a, like a tumor-looking like type of tissue. It can okay. be urinary incontinence. It can be urinary in retention where you can't get the pee to come out. It can be fecal incontinence. It can be chronic constipation. It often is chronic constipation. It can be both of those. It can be vaginal, rectal, back, or pelvic pain. There can be vaginal or rectal pressure. There can be pain with intimacy, a loss of intimate sensation, and or your tampons can push out. So for me, what I noticed was uh, I had you know vaginal pressure, but I didn't really pay any attention to it. And I, I started to notice over about a three-month period that there was something bulging from my vagina when I would wipe after I urinated. Uh-huh. And after about three months of feeling that sensation, I finally thought, what the heck is that? And I got that handheld mirror out to take a look to see what was going on down there, which I highly recommend all women do. We don't look at our vaginas. We should. We should, and for I, sure. Yes, absolutely. And, and so I saw this walnut-sized ball of tissue bulging from my vagina, and I, it looked like a tumor. And I was a little taken aback by the fact that it was there. I had no pain. I'd never heard of vaginal cancer before. So I wasn't really freaked out by it, but I knew it had to be addressed no matter what. So for me, I went to my, luckily, I, my, uh, my cl- primary care clinician is a good friend of mine. So I sent her an email. She said, come on in, we'll do a pelvic exam. And then she matter-of-factly told me I had pelvic organ prolapse. I'd never heard of that. And then she said, matter-of-factly, that will, I'll fit you for a pessary, and I'd never heard of that. And then she said, if you don't like the pessary, I'll refer you to a urogynecologist, and I'd never heard of that. So that was my introduction to pelvic organ prolapse. And so bouncing back to the, the impact to women's lives, for me, it was, I'm, I've always been pretty hit the health stuff head-on, face-on. Uh, I was diagnosed with MS when I was 30. Uh, extremely aggressive case. I was told I, I was wheelchair bound short time frame. So I was very, very aggressive with doing all the right stuff, public exams, taking care of myself from that point forward. I was in my mid fifties when I was diagnosed with POP. So to be diagnosed with a condition that turned out to be really common that I'd never heard of was to me infuriating. So for me, the emotional roller coaster was anger. Some women have anger, some women are, are anxious, some women are depressed, and, and obviously it's all over the page for some women. So the physical is number one, the emotional is number two. Socially, the impact is significant for so many women because of the incontinence that can occur. And they can go out in public to, let's see, a, a wedding or a uh, baby shower or a family gathering, birthday party or whatever, if they have to worry about having incontinence while they're at the social gathering, they're not going to have a good time. They're so not going stressful. to relax. You know, yeah, it's, it's stressful. It's incredibly stressful for them. So that, that's a huge uh, social impact. And oftentimes they have pain. They just can't go out 
socially because of the pain is too much for them. Again, I had no pain. I was lucky. This impacts women sexually, obviously, hugely. And we have a, a significant ripple through our patient following when a, a patient brings up the topic of sex or I'll throw a question or comment or study in there about uh, the impact to intimacy. This ripple through women's lives is so massive. And depending on which decade you're in, shifts how it impacts you. So obviously the women that are in their 20s immediately think their sex life is over. They're so embarrassed about this bulge of tissue that they're terrified of letting their partner see that bulge of tissue. And as women get older, they have concerns that, that if they let their partner know about it, they're going to end up in divorce court. And how are they mm. possibly going to find an, a new mate if they have this dysfunction with their body? So and the impact continues on as women get older and it, it shifts a little bit and sometimes it softens and sometimes it gets worse. But Sherry. the impact to intimacy is massive. You know, it yes. really is. Sherry, can I interrupt you? You I'm going to have to interrupt you. Yes. We're going to take a two-minute break and then we're going to come back and we'll just pick it up um, talking about some of the, the impacts that Excellent. are going on for women. Okay. Sounds great. But while we go for, to break, listeners, please check out Sherry's site, APOP, because there is support. You do have options. Her book, Pelvic Organ Prolapse, The Silent Epidemic, and its third edition is a must-read for every lady, young and old. Must-read. We'll be right back in two minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Visit InspiredToHelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at InspiredToHelp.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. Visit InspiredToHelp.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everybody. This is Lorraine. We're talking with Sherry Palm, the founder of APOP, the Association of Pelvic Organ Prolapse. Uh, Sherry, before break, we were um, you were describing uh, some of the ways that POP impacts women like in different decades. And so I'd just like to ask you, for women in perimenopause and menopause, because you were kind of talking about younger ladies sexually, mm-hmm. as women get older, do you see any nuances with the impact? Absolutely, absolutely. As women, as the hormone levels shift and we have less estrogen in our, in our body, it has a significant impact on pelvic floor strength. And atrophy obviously comes as we get older into our 40s and 50s and 60s. And so that impacts sexuality as well. So one of the things that, that occurs with prolapse um, that with the, the bulge and the incontinence and so on is women sometimes how they address the condition itself, what they choose to use for treatment varies considerably once they get into their, their mature age. And women, I don't like to think of it as women are less sexual when they get older. We shift how we engage intimately with our partners. And I was really enlightened by a couple of women that came into our space that were in their 70s that had grade three, which is a pretty significant prolapse, and who were still, one was sexually active, one was not. And it gave me a chance to uh, listen to them and and their input and and their insights about how it impacted their intimacy. The couple that was still sexually intimate, the man had, was was impotent. He had directal dysfunction and could not engage sexually. And she was... uh, had, again, grade three prolapse, so she had significant bulge, tissue bulge occurring. So for them, uh, it was a, kind of a different dance that they had to do. They were both very sexually energetic. So we had to talk through a series of conversations about how, what intimacy is for the mature person and how you continue to be intimate with your partner when you're a more mature individual. And, and what it comes down to is intimacy isn't necessarily intercourse. Intimacy can be uh, a matter of holding each other and uh, using external stimulation. It can be more of a, the, the warmth, the embrace part of the relationship, holding each other. So it, it kind of changes how we look at intimacy when we, when we talk about pelvic organ prolapse. There, there's uh, surgical procedures that can be done that actually literally close the vagina. <coughs> And obviously, if you're going to have your vagina sewn shut, you cannot engage in in intercourse. That's done. So it's really important for women that are on on the mature end of the spectrum to know that there are options for them as well. And they need to have really evolved conversations with their clinicians about what sex means to them, what intimacy means to them, and not only with their clinicians, but with their intimate partners as well. So every decade addresses this a little bit differently. And in our patient following, we have women from their mid-teens through mid-80s. And realistically, it's through end of life. So obviously, how this is navigated varies 
from person to person and decade to decade. There's, there's no right or wrong with navigation of POP. It's just what's best for you, and it's always important to be mindful of that. There's also, uh, above and beyond the intimacy impact, there's impact to fitness for women. And this is something that's not very well recognized in the healthcare arena at this point, and it needs to be. There is such a popular stance for running. Women love to run. The yeah. kick, I, I get that. You know, the endorphin, I'm, I'm an exercise junkie myself. I exercise five days a week. I get it. However, when that foot strikes the pavement, you are jerking everything down. So as women continue to run uh, and the prolapses become more pronounced, they start to wonder why they're leaking more or why they have more pelvic pressure or vaginal rectal pressure. That's why, because they're jerking everything down. If you take a balloon and you put water in it and you blow it up and you hold it by the stem and just bounce it up and down and you can see how that, it just kind of springs down and down and down and then comes back up. That's your organs when you have pelvic organ prolapse. So it's important for women to recognize that if they are going to run, obviously it's everyone's personal choice what to do, that they should check out getting a pessary, which is an internal support device that you can wear to create some support internally when they do run. But we encourage women to to find other fitness activities because there's so many different things that you can do now. And on the employment side, this is another sector that's seldom discussed and, and not recognized very effectively. There's a huge need to address how POP intersects with employment. And, and women that have got POP that have incontinence are in the bathroom a lot. That causes issues at work. Women that have got chronic constipation, they can go into, and I'm talking like significant all day, every day, you can't poop to save your soul kind of constipation. It doesn't matter how much fiber you eat. It doesn't matter, you know, what you're doing. It's just not coming out. It's yeah. not coming out, right. So they go into the bathroom, they have that urge to go, and they go in the bathroom, and they can't defecate. So they, they can be in there for 10, 15 minutes, and their boss is wondering if they're in there on their cell phones or if they're putting the makeup on or what they're doing in there, when the reality is is they just they can't poop and they want to. So it creates issues at employment as well, and there's also um, concerns with heavy lifting for women too because that's a causal factor for POP. So, so, so many aspects of impact to women. It's all over the page. Again, it's all day, every day for women. And I think just to touch on the jogging, I mean, they're, you know, running is like so popular, but also yeah. there's a recent trend for CrossFit. So there's a lot oh. of women doing oh. significant lifting. Yes. Don't get me going on CrossFit. They'll come after me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not good for women, women's pelvic floor. It's just not the heavy lifting. It, it, it's so aggressive. And again, I get it. You know, I, I like muscle tone. I, I mean, I understand how they get addicted to it, that, that endorphin kick of, of you know, how polished your body and ripped your body looks, but it's just not healthy. It's just not safe. There's just so many other things that women can do to you know, maintain that um, fitness level. So I, I don't want to poo-poo anybody or trash talk anybody, but I, we don't encourage CrossFit at all. We really don't. All right. And um, as far as the causes, I mean, you just talked about some. Would you say the most common cause is childbirth? Childbirth is absolutely the most common cause, followed closely by menopause. And there's many other lifestyle, behavioral, and comorbid condition causes as well. So we're looking at heavy lifting, the fitness activities we just talked about, such as the downward pounding, running and jogging type activities, 
Chronic constipation is both a cause and a symptom. Chronic coughing can cause POP. You're jerking everything down when you cough if you've got emphysema or, you know, like spring allergies. Or in the wintertime, if you've got a cold and you're coughing and coughing and coughing, women with POP will notice that significant impact to their pelvic floor. Women who have diastasis rectus abdominis, which is DRA, that long abdominal muscle that splits during the middle, in the middle when you're pregnant, and never really goes completely back to normal, well, that is a, a weakening of your core support. Genetics is a factor for women. If your mom's had POP and your sister's had POP and your grandma's had POP, well, you are predisposed to having POP. If you've had a hysterectomy and they do not secure the apex, the top of the vagina properly when they do that surgery, your vagina can give in on itself, and that is the vaginal valve prolapse. There are neuromuscular disease causals, and there's a few of those. It can be MS. It can be Marfan disease. The one that we see the most of in our patient following is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And this is where women are double-jointed or they have got extremely stretchy skin. And what typically happens for them is when they're double-jointed, they're often, uh, their moms will put them into gymnastics because they're double-jointed. So for, for years and sometimes decades, these young girls enter into women who are repetitively hitting that ground hard, sticking those landings, and it's just like when you're running. You hit that hard ground, you're jerking everything down. And because they have stretchy tissue, it's not just on the outside, it's on the inside. And their support tissues that hold those organs up do not do a good job of doing so. So everything gets jerked downwards. And I've, um, this light bulb first came out for me when I, before I even founded APOPS. I was talking with a, a mother of a college student who was 21. She had never been pregnant. And she was diagnosed with grade two uterine prolapse. There's four grades of severity. Grade two was, um, it's kind of in the middle there. And they didn't know why, because she'd never been pregnant. Why would she have prolapse? And so her mom and I talked back and forth over a three-month period. And one day I said, so what did your daughter do for fitness activities and athletic activities as a child? And she was so proud. She said, oh, she's double-jointed. I put her in gymnastics when she was two years old. She's been doing it for years, all through high school, now in college. She's a uh. star. And I was like, there it is. The light bulb came on. And then I realized that that's a whole different sector we have to address. And at this point, we've got a lot of women in our following that do navigate this. And it really complicates things for them because non-surgical treatments aren't very effective for them. And surgery fails quickly if mesh is not used. And surgery, not always, but often. And surgery with mesh, sometimes that mesh can migrate and cause complications that way. So they've got, this is like, the worst case scenario, and, and I don't want to you know, make anyone freaked out, but it's these women need to know ahead of the curve that they have got POP. They need to be diagnosed early and all the more reason to get information into the hands of the diagnostic clinician side so that these women can adjust their lifestyle and behaviors to try and prevent some of those things that are causing it to get worse as time goes on. So typically yeah, there's so multiple can I, causal I'd factors. like to ask, though, so, and we're going to have to take a break in a, in a little more than a minute, but... Why do you think, I mean, you just listed so many causes of pelvic, pelvic organ prolapse, and it affects so many women, like, you know, 50% of women. Yeah, Why do you think there's still such a stigma? Why do you think it's so closeted based on your experience working around the whole world? Like, you've worked in 177 different countries, Right. Right, exactly. There. We've got yeah, patient and practitioner following in 177 countries now. And, and what the backdrop is, is it's the stigma of the embarrassing symptoms. So if we're talking about 
the urinary incontinence, the fecal incontinence, that vaginal tissue bulge. Women won't talk about these symptoms out loud. And I mean, it's getting better. It's much better now than it was nine years ago when I started doing this. But we've got a long way to go. And the reality is, is, is this a health condition? Nothing more, nothing less. We need to address it as a health condition. This is just like it was for breast health before. Uh, Coleman wasn't the first to do breast cancer, but they were the ones that made it big. Before that, you couldn't say or, or write the word print in, in a newspaper or a magazine. Before erectile dysfunction, before the little blue pill, you couldn't talk about that out loud. This is the same thing. When we're talking about health, that's about our, our sexual organs. It is so stigmatized. That pelvic zone is so stigmatized. So what we need to do to eradicate that, to change that, is to just keep talking about it out loud every chance we get. And the more we do that, then the sooner we'll get this to, to flip-flop around to where it needs to be. It's a work in progress. Well said, and we're going to take a break. We'll be back in two minutes, and we'll continue our conversation with Sherry Palm. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Visit InspiredToHelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at InspiredToHelp.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. Visit InspiredToHelp.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everybody. We're back. We're talking about pelvic organ prolapse with Sherry Palm. Such an important, uh, the conversation needs to get louder. So it's stupendous that Sherry's here today to kind of bring some more awareness, share some information. So thank you so much, Sherry. Uh, We were just talking about why this is still so closeted. Um, And I do think, you know, was there a particular moment, Sherry, where you decided that you we're going to be an advocate in, in the way that you are with POP or did it evolve kind of slowly? 
it was pretty much overnight. No, well, not overnight. Within two weeks after my diagnosis, I knew this was my destiny. And I can't tell you how I knew. I just knew. I went home from that appointment where I was diagnosed, and I did what everyone else does. I just started Googling to find out about the condition because I'd never heard of it. And I was shocked to learn how common POP is. At that point in time, the stat that was used was 3.3 million women in the U.S., well, now we read and hear all the time 50% of women. So that's how much things have shifted in nine years. And I knew it after I read how prevalent it is that I had to do something to raise awareness. It's been a medical record for nearly 4,000 years. And for women to not know about a condition that's so common just didn't make any sense to me. So the beginning of my journey was to try and educate women. It wasn't about advocacy so much. It was about educating women. And I put together the first edition of my book, and then while I was marketing it, I was probably about 15 months into marketing the first edition when the light bulb came on and I realized that if I wanted to be really effective at helping women and, and providing support and guidance for women, that I should found a nonprofit. So that's when I founded APOPS. And between then, which was 2010 and now, it has grown to reach women. It's, it's both patient and practitioner following, as I mentioned, in 177 countries. So it's not just a matter of, of women excuse me, women coming in. It's also clinicians recognizing that there's value to what we're doing here. We're shifting women's pelvic health globally. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of a labor of love. You know, when you don't choose to become an advocate, advocacy chooses you. So there was never any, any real decision to do this. It was just kind of like getting up in the morning and, and, you know, my feet hitting the ground. That's just how it felt. It just felt natural. It was a calling. Yes, exactly. Yes. And it's pretty incredible, uh, the impact that you've had. Well, now, I'm, sorry, go I'm, ahead. I'm thrilled every day. Every time a woman comes into our space who is anxious or fearful or has, has high anxiety, and, and we watch her go through the steps, being surrounded by other women who have been there, done that, and they provide their voices and their support to that woman. We watch her morph into an empowered, strong woman moving forward with decisions about how to take care of her pelvic health and address the POP dynamic that is facing her. And it, it's amazing to watch. It's just every day I, I just get this inner glow listening to and, and reading the uh, impact of, of women helping women. It's amazing. And I think that's what's going to elevate women's health and make the world a better place. It's the collaboration. It's the supporting one another. Yes, without a doubt. Now, do you find, like, in the United States, as far as um, clinician resistance to the work you're doing, or is it different than in the U.K. versus, you know, in, in these it, different countries, what's the receptivity of the work, it, the, the awareness that you're trying to share? It does vary from country to country. Obviously, our strongest following is in the, in the U.S. We've got a, a significant following in the U.K. zone as well. Uh, quite a few women in Canada, quite a few in Australia. On the clinician side, in the beginning, it was hard to break down the barriers because I'm not a clinician. And if you're not a white coat and you're intersecting in the white coat space, it, they're, they're not very embracing. So I had to prove myself. I had to, had to give them time to see that this is a long-haul project. This isn't a, uh, just trying to make noise. This is about changing women's health. 
and raising awareness of women's health and, and addressing the needs from all angles. It's not just patient need, needs. <coughs> I'm sorry, throat scratch. Um, it's about shifting every aspect of POP intersect. So it's patient voice, it's clinician voice, and just healthcare in general. It is research voice, it's academic voice because they're the ones that teach the healthcare clinicians. It's, it's about industry because they make the devices that treat this condition. It's about policy because we have to address the lack of screening during routine public exams. Everybody's voice counts. Everyone's voice is valuable. Everyone's voice matters. At the end of every day, at the beginning of every day, it's patients that we're most concerned about, and their voice is the most significant voice that we listen to. They're the ones that are living this. But when you engage everyone in the arena, then you have to give them time. It doesn't happen overnight. You give them time to see what you're trying to do and to understand the value of it, and then your patients start going to their clinicians and saying, this, this organization is doing blah, blah, and it's really helped me understand my body better then the clinicians start seeing it and they start sharing with each other about that. So on the U.S. side, we've, we've gotten a lot of support and respect from clinicians at this point. It took, again, it didn't happen overnight, but at this point, it's, it's, it's pretty well solidified. On the outside the U.S. space, not as much. We do have um, clinician following outside the U.S. Again, 177 countries is also clinician as well as patient, but it's not broad spectrum. So there's that scattering of clinicians that are actively looking for information on POP for their patients, and they happen onto our stuff. And then they reach out, and then it goes from there. So, so we have a lot more work to do as far as fanning the flag. I do speak internationally, and I, I do enjoy sharing information with clinicians in other countries, and, and they're very receptive to what information we have to share. So that's, that's very promising. So there's much to be advanced, but we've come quite away with the overseas stuff as well. That's brilliant. And I'm sure it'll grow that much more in time. Um, so as far as APOPs, can you describe a bit more as to what you do? I mean, you just kind of talked about it, but it, I mean, because it's multifaceted, if you just mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about your organization. Sure. I mean, it, the, the, the baseline of everything we do is support patients, obviously. That, that's our most significant role. But um, it's important that we shift at a significant level how the medical community is addressing this condition. So you have your diagnostic clinicians and you have your specialists, and they walk very different walks. We don't have nearly enough specialists for this field, and that has to be addressed, so we're trying to bang the drum on that end to... to create the awareness of what's going to happen when POP awareness goes large if we're talking about 50% of women. We're going to need a lot more specialists to treat this condition, both on the surgical and non-surgical side. But on the diagnostic side, we're trying to bang the drum to address general diagnostic clinician curriculum at the academic level. If these clinicians, if the gynecologists and, and the primary care practitioners are not properly educated about POP, how are they going to screen women effectively? All women should be screened for POP during routine public exams, and they're not. They're right down there doing wellness exams, and POP is in 50% of women. Why aren't they screening for it? It, it makes no sense. It's, just, it's kind of backwards. And what happens when women have a pelvic exam, 
they may go to their clinician and they may ask to be screened for POP because they've Googled the symptoms. And when you lay down in lithotomy position is where your, your back's on the table and your feet are in the stirrups. So when you lay down in that position, your organs will actually drift back to their normal positions. So an untrained eye that's not really familiar with pelvic organ prolapse will not, may not recognize POP or if they do recognize it, they will not recognize the degree of severity because they do not have the proper training to screen for it properly. So what we, we do to address that right now on the surface is we tell women to request that their gynecologist screen them standing up. And what they'll get is an entirely different picture of prolapse. They'll just palpate. Obviously, they can't put a speculum in if you're standing up, but they can just palpate and feel that tissue bulge, and it changes how they view what you're experiencing. So we need to get that information into the medical schools with all those all, all clinicians that are doing public exams need to have this information. So that's something that we, we are really aggressive about and trying to really push, push forward with. We need to, uh, let's see, um, address the misconceptions. Misconceptions are abundant in this field. So we do what we can to increase awareness of that. And that's kind of a, a two-pronged approach. It's a matter of, of I mean, I, I write articles and, and I engage in and some baby dabbling in research and so on. But what's of a huge value is patient voice. And so what I do is, is I'll post a question in our, our forum, our support forum space, about something that I'm curious about and something that I want to make the, the clinical side really recognize. And they all come in. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what our following does. They'll all come in. They provide their information. Here's what happened to me. Here's what I experienced. And then I take that information and I can format that into tools to share at the conferences that I speak at with the clinicians. And that helps open their eyes to the reality of POP impact to women's lives. It's, it's very, very helpful. So powerful. Does, does get the, helps get the job done, that's for sure. <laughs> um, as far as... Um... Because you mentioned even earlier that patients, you know, it affects young girls and mm-hmm. women in their 70s, 80s. So, but as far as the younger girls out there, as far as sex education, you were recently in D.C. Um, you know, has there been a lot of conversation about expanding, including pelvic organ prolapse information to, to kids in sex ed classes? There was no, I've never heard conversation about that at a medical conference, not once. And the conference I just came back from in D.C., that was kind of a blend of healthcare and advocacy and policy at the government level. And they kind of meshed all three of them together. And so it's, it's you never know from conference to conference, you know, well, you, you do know because you review, you know, what the speakers are going to be at the at conference ahead of time. But um, the topics that the titles are shown to you. Sometimes they get into it layers that you're not expecting them to get into. And I'm always hopeful to hear more about the young women in the presentations that are given. And I have, I just don't. It, it's something that's not really recognized very effectively at this point, but it's something that I bring up every chance I get. And I've got uh, a slide that I shared at the, the DC conference that included the demographics for women in our following. And, and we have got, we don't have a lot of them, but there, that there are any at all. 
in that 13 to 17 age sector is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And I'm, I'm quite sure that those are women probably that have uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, that, that hypermobility and tissue integrity uh, health condition. So I use that slide for one of the aspects of my presentation, and then I, I took a little bit of time to talk about Ehlers-Danlos and how it impacts young women and how we have to start doing a better job of screening for that condition in women. And in the sex ed part of school would be a great place to introduce that topic. A great place. I think so. I really do. We're going to have to take a break. We'll be back in two minutes and we'll continue our conversation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Visit InspiredToHelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at InspiredToHelp.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. Visit InspiredToHelp.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everybody. We're back with uh, Sherry Palm. She's the founder of uh, the Association of Pelvic Organ Prolapse. It's been such a hugely informative chat with Sherry. Um, and before we broke, we were talking about sex education. Sherry, I really do think that there's a huge opportunity, um, not just about POP, but so many other um, areas for young girls to be aware of because it's being equipped with the information about our magical, powerful bodies as women. I think that would go a long way into pelvic health, fertility, pregnancy. I mean, I think there's so many areas. So. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. There's such a significant need to to not only touch on these topics and educate women at a young age about these these conditions and, and aspects of pelvic health. It's also important just to create that comfort zone. We're taught from a very young age on that we're not supposed to, to look at or talk about or think about our vagina. That's ridiculous. It's our body. It's our health. And, and the more we educate women at a young age about 
conditions like pelvic organ prolapse and other aspects of sexual health, the more comfortable they become and the more comfortable they are with asking the right questions if something's occurring and they need to see a, a clinician to address it. Yeah, there's still a significant number of women or young girls that are uncomfortable saying vagina to their to their gynecologist. So it presents, you know, so, well, here's to improved conversations or awareness with sex education to younger ladies. I'd like to ask you, what is the most important thing women can do to prevent POP from occurring? And that, that's a bucket full. First of all, it's impossible to 100% prevent POP from occurring. There are so many causal factors that, that, that shouldn't even be on the chalkboard. However, it's really important for women to pay attention to symptoms that their bodies are displaying and, and learn about POP so they can ask physicians to screen them for it. If they catch POP earlier, they're just trying to, to be proactive about their pelvic health it's going to reduce risk for them. It's going to increase likelihood of, it, of POP being caught early. And there are so many behaviors that can be modified. If we know about pelvic organ prolapse, uh, like we were talking earlier about the, the exercise layers, the, um, the running and the heavy lifting. And I lift weights, but they're baby weights. It's like little 10-pound weights. So that doesn't have any impact on my pelvic floor. So if women knew about this stuff ahead of the curve, that would go a long way to preventing those women from doing fitness activities that are dangerous, from engaging in, in behaviors that are going to make POP worse. If they know about um, childbirth being a causal factor, then they go into, and that's something that should be talked about having it in, included in the class. In, in your childbirth classes, they should include POP information as well. Um, Knowing about these things ahead of the curve, you will know what symptoms to watch for and what behaviors to modify. So one of the things, for example, that we tell our our following is, obviously, toddlers weigh a lot. And if they're sleeping, they're dead weight. So we try and and, and encourage our following, instead of picking up when you have POP, instead of picking up your toddlers, crouch down to the ground or sit on the couch, call them into your lap then you're not picking them up. Now, obviously, you cannot avoid picking up your toddlers when they're, you know, still baby, baby toddlers. You you still have to pick up your babies. And so you want to do that in the most user-friendly way. You want to contract your pelvic floor before you pick up your your baby or any other heavy weight. But if you don't know to do that, you won't do that. Every time I go to the, the store and I see a mother with a baby at her hip, I think to myself, oh, I don't think, I know you're not contracting your pelvic floor. Because we just don't know to do that. No one yeah. tells us to do that, you know. So there's a, such a significant need to, to address this from not just awareness, but then from the, the educational level as well as what we can do to recognize our lifestyle, recognize our behaviors, and also recognize those, those comorbid conditions that can occur, such as the Ehlers-Danlos or, or um, other conditions that can occur at the same time as POP and possibly make POP worse. There's a multitude of, of bladder conditions that POP can cause. There's other conditions that can cause POP. So the more we learn, the easier it is to, to know what we have to bring up to the attention of our clinicians when we go to see them for our routine pelvic exams and our routine wellness visits. And we're going to have to break uh, in a few minutes, but 
if you can uh, share what's your most significant hope for women related to your POP cause. Well, I'm so very, very hopeful that as POP awareness increases, and it's going to explode overnight, there's no doubt about that. Whatever happens that makes it happen, it's going to be a big overnight shift. When POP awareness does increase, POP screening protocol will advance, and when women will become informed and empowered about their health, there's never been any doubt in my mind from the beginning of this journey on for me that this will be the next significant shift in women's health. And it's long past overdue. Bravo to that. And um, I want to thank you so much, Sherry, for being on the show. I think this was so important and so valuable. Thank you for sharing all your, your wisdom within the short period of time. Again, I highly recommend listeners, moms, young girls, older ladies, please get Sherry's book, Pelvic Organ Prolapse, The Silent Epidemic. It's in its third edition. Every lady should have it. And um, and please check out her website. The The quickie way to get there is apop.org. Correct, Sherry? Apop.org. If you Google just apops, A-P-O-P-S, it'll get you there. Okay, great. And a big hug, a big pelvic health hug, Sherry, for all the work that you're doing in the United States and around the world. And Louie barked a couple of times. So <laughs> I think there's been some pelvic health connections made on this episode. Yay. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I want to thank you as well, Lorraine, for, for giving me the opportunity to share this information on your program. It, it's the more women that we reach, the bigger the smile on my face. Yes. So here's to more smiles. And um, thank you listeners for tuning in this week. And we'll be back next week. I'm just going to give a clue to next week's show. We're going to have two guests, one related to sparkles and one related to bees, but all related to um, connecting to our bodies and our health. So thank you for tuning in. And we'll be back next Wednesday and signing off with a big womb hug. I'm your host, Lorraine Giordano. You're listening to the Womb Happy Hour. Thank you for joining us for the Womb Happy Hour. Be sure to tune in again for another edition featuring your host, Lorraine Giordano, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an excellent week.